Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. sharing Luan. We had such a great weekend last week um, with the music team who was here and just a real encounter with God. I know everybody who was here for the weekend just testified and spoke. It was great hearing just some of the band feedback as they've been posting on their little WhatsApp group little stories of how they felt God speaking to them and stirring their hearts. And I want to encourage you, if you weren't here on Sundays, um, Go onto our YouTube channel or on our podcasts and download the messages and, and catch up a little bit. I really want to encourage you to make a habit of that, that as we, we come together, that we have an expectation that God is going to speak and that it's God who is speaking. Not necessarily as James or Greg or myself. The, the words we speak are, are far less important than, God, what is it that you are saying today? And it's so great seeing so many notepads floating around and I want to encourage you, if you're not in that habit yet, get in the habit of taking notes. I'm going to share a little bit about that, that one of the things that I really believe God wants us to take more seriously going forward is His Word spoken to us. Really learn to not only listen, but listen to be transformed and to be changed. And I know one of my biggest challenges is I really quickly forget. I forget not only what God said to me last week, but six months and six years ago, if I haven't written it down. And not only is it encouraging to go back and to look, hey, this is what God said, but it's also instructive. Sometimes I'm wrestling with something and God says, but I've already spoken to you about this. Except it was six weeks ago and your memory is a bit short, Philip. So then it's really great to have had it written down. And I want us to read a passage, start with a passage today, which we probably know well. And then we're going to probably end with some passages that we know well, but wished we didn't. And start with Matthew chapter 19. And we see here a, a young man, we believe he is, and he's come to be known in sort of church circles as the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And there's a, a lot of religion in the bad sense of the word tied up in that, the thinking that the works that I do, this was what causes me to have eternal life. It's an encouragement for us to know, and Jesus at pains, not only here but later on, to demonstrate that our works are not what cause us to have eternal life. That it is a gift of God by faith. But it's a something that's born inside of us, that if I do more, if I act more, if I do the right things, then I'm going to be able to win my salvation. I can buy my salvation by doing the right things. And Jesus teaches us very clearly, no, you cannot. There is only one way to obtain salvation, and that is to receive the salvation that Jesus has already bought for us. And he's paid that full price. So this young man comes to Jesus and he says, what good deed, what can I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, why do you ask me about good? There is only one who is good. Kind of he's wanting to get diverted, but then he says, but let me answer your question. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which one? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all of these commandments. Some translations even say, from my youth, the young man replied. What else must I do? I want us to pause there for just a moment. I wonder by a show of hands here, how many of us here have been serving the Lord for at least five years? At least five years. How many of us for more than 10 years? Keep your hands raised. More than 15 years. A couple of us. More than 20 years. It's great to see some hands, but one of the things, and I'm not going to carry on forever because, you know, at some stage Jesus is going to come back too. 
But this man, I think we, many of us who have been following Jesus for more than a, a couple of years, we can, in a sense, relate to this man. This young man is coming to Jesus, and he says, what else must I do? Jesus, I've, I've obeyed, in a sense, the basics. For us, in our context, a question that I get often, that we hear often, is how do I grow more in Jesus? Can I just start with that? I, I really sense this morning that Jesus is wanting to invite us to him. That he's wanting to say that there is so much more. And this young man recognizes, he recognizes that which I have here, surely there's more. Yes, I'm keeping all of the commandments. I'm doing what is right. I have a regular Bible study. I testify where I can. I'm become a, a Christian person. I'm not swearing at people wherever I go. I'm a pretty nice person. I'm, I'm doing the basics right. In this context specifically, I'm not committing adultery. I'm honoring my mother and my father. I'm, I'm a, a good Christian person, if I can paraphrase it a little bit. And yet there's a longing, there's a stirring in his heart, but isn't there something more? Isn't there something more than just going through the motions and living a nice life? Just having the normal family, doing the nice things, keeping the expectations, the commandments, living up to them. And Jesus comes and he's about to answer his question. Many of us have this question, Jesus, how can I grow? Jesus, I've done all of the foundations. I've established, I pray in the Spirit regularly. I, I know the Scriptures. I've done Bible school. I've completed sets. I've, I've done all of, how do I grow now? Can I just put a little disclaimer in here? You know, sometimes when you watch a movie, there's a little triangle that comes up with a number on the inside, just as a warning. You know, be, be careful of this that's coming. And I think sometimes we should read Scripture and a passage like this, we should be careful because what if we don't like Jesus' answer? So this man comes to Jesus with a question and he, he says, what, must, what else can I do? And the challenge is that he asks a question, but he's not ready for the answer. And I honestly believe that God is wanting to draw us to help us to take the next step of intimacy. And I just sensed even as we were praying this morning, God is wanting to say that for us to truly grow in Christ, especially those of us who've known Him for a long time, He wants us to begin to know Him for the God He is and not the God we want Him to be. I think um, Tim Keller He's got this great quote, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, I don't know exact words, but something along these lines, that if your God can never disagree with you, you are only serving an idealized version of yourself. If your God cannot disagree with you, what he's actually saying is you're not serving God, you're serving yourself. And so here's a good question that we can ask ourselves, when is the last time I disagreed with God? When is the last time God said something and I didn't like his answer. When is the last time I had a talk with God and I read something in Scripture and I was like, oh no, that's wrong. God needs to change. And we all have those moments. We're going to read here a story of a man who has this moment. And obviously as we respond to that, hopefully our heart begins to change and we realize it's not God who must change. It's me. It's not God who is wrong in this situation. It's not God who misunderstands. It's I who am wrong. My understanding is incomplete. And so Jesus answers this man with an answer which we see he doesn't like. Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Can I just put in a side here? I think good Bible interpretation requires us to read here that this is not an instruction to every single believer. This is very clearly a direct instruction which somebody had, which God gave to somebody. I don't think it's good Bible reading to take a conversation with Jesus has with an individual and assume that that conversation applies to everybody. 
So what I'm not saying this morning is that God says, go and sell everything you have. If He is saying that, then respond. I'm not saying that He is saying that to you. But I am asking, how do we respond when we don't like the answer Jesus gives us? Scripture tells us that this man, when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. He didn't like Jesus' answer. Tradition tells us that this man was probably a man that we discover later as a man called Barnabas, who actually penned a large part of the New Testament. He was Paul's travel buddy, his scribe, and a large part of church. We, don't, we can't take this as fact, but there is church tradition which seems to point that this man actually went and did do it. But first, he was sad. I think many of us know the passage which says that you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This is true. But there's a little part in the inside which we can also put. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, but it's first going to make you very unhappy. Normally when we know the truth, when we realize the truth, yes, it sets us free, but first and only once we've worked through the reality that we were wrong, that we needed to change, that something was different. I believe God is wanting to say to us this morning that we can only grow when we are challenged. We can only grow and grow further in our walk with Christ if we are challenged in our walk with Christ. And that's a truth which holds in every sphere of life. You see it at sportsmen, for example. Every sportsman wants to practice with people who are better than them. Because you only grow when you're practicing with those who are better. When you're praying, playing and practicing and you are the strongest person in the team, you're not growing. In our careers as well, we only grow in our careers when we're with people who are better, who challenge us. We don't grow when we are the strongest, the cleverest, the smartest person in the room. But it's when we're in that place, when we are challenged, that we grow. It's when we are stretched that we are growing. I remember many, many years ago. 20 years ago, easily, we went umtata in a church, pastor by Don Phillips, umtata Christian church, and he was preaching about the fact that God comes into our lives and He stretches us. Anyone here ever been stretched? Anybody ever thought you were going to snap when you were being stretched? And then afterwards you realize that, hey, I didn't know I had that in me. I wouldn't have known if I wasn't stretched. And I believe God wants us to embrace the stretching that comes with being challenged. Will we allow challenging scriptures and challenging answers to change us? Or do we walk away like the rich young ruler when we come into a situation and we, we read the text? And can I just say I'm not preaching at anybody this morning, perhaps I'm right in the front seat. If I'm preaching at anybody, first and foremost, this message, I'm preaching at me. And for those who, are, those who were at the worship weekend, we saw a miracle at the worship weekend. If you weren't here, you missed it. We actually had people walk in and come and sit in the front seats to start with. But I'm sitting right in this front seat this morning. If anybody needs to hear this, it's me more than you. Because you know what I've learned in my life? I've got a little bit of Bible tippings. Anybody else have Bible tippings here? We read scriptures and then we've got Bible highlighters. You know, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. That's highlighted in all of the highlights. Every Bible I have, all of the colors. But then there are other Bibles, other passages which I've got Bible tippings. And when I come to that section, it's, I just, I know it's there, but I tippings it out. It, it's easier to just act as if it's not there because I don't like what that part says. And that's this, what this young man has this encounter with Jesus. He doesn't like Jesus' answer. And yet Jesus has this invitation, come and follow me. But that invitation has quite a big prerequisite to it. I can't imagine that guy coming back and saying, hey, Jesus, I'm here. I'm going to follow you. And Jesus says, did you sell everything and give to the poor? He's like, no, but I'm still following you. I don't think that conversation would have gone down well. The instruction was go and sell it all and come and follow me. And yet there's this invitation that I believe Jesus is holding before us to come follow 
Him. I want us this morning to think a little bit about our following. I, you know, we've got these blotted out scriptures. This morning, I'm going to look at perhaps some scriptures, and maybe over the, the next few weeks, as I, we've got a couple of less guests coming, and I'll be preaching a bit more, hopefully, in the next while again. Um, you know, we've, many of us probably have on our computer desktop or on our phone or framed in our office, we've got passages printed out. There's some passages which we're probably not going to print out. I'm not going to put this. This is not the inspirational type that I want to look at all the time, and we need those. We need those inspirations. We need the hope, and that's why I think we're kind of entering into this message after the weekend we had last week, which was very encouraging, inspirational. Greg's message for me was just so powerful. Is God worthy? Yes, He is worthy. He reminded us just something about the glory and the magnificence of God. And what I so love about Greg's message wasn't necessarily the fact that he's the world's best speaker. It's just his heart of God is glorious, and I'm surrendered to that. And he is that. And then we're confronted with, okay, now that I know he is worthy, what do I do about that? This man comes to Jesus. He says, good teacher, what else must I do? And Jesus gives him an answer he doesn't like. What do we do with these scriptures we don't agree with? I wrote here, and I really believe this is true for many of us, those of us who are frustrated in our growth with Christ. I sense God is wanting to say, your continued growth is tied up in your obedience. And not only to the scriptures you like. Can I just throw in here as well? I believe as the church, as a whole of Christ today, we have so many good teaching resources, books and YouTube videos, stuff which is so easily accessible. Years ago, I remember, some of you are old enough to remember this, that if you wanted to get good teaching that wasn't from your local church, you had to go and buy very expensive video cassettes, VHS. Some of you have never seen a VHS cassette in your lives before. And you'd go and buy that video from some conference which some church was able to have. And then you'd sit and you'd watch. And I remember spending hours watching those videos, just wanting to learn and grow. Nowadays, those things are at a click of a button, snippets all over the place. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. It's so easy to get. But I think what's also happening more and more is not that we have a shortage of teaching. But I think we have a shortage of application. We were away with some of our staff early on in the year. And as I was kind of, we were praying and worshiping, I just sensed the Holy Spirit drop this word into me. He said, more worship, less words. More worship, less words. We don't need more songs with more words for more worship. There's something in our hearts that need to respond. And in, in the same way, I don't think we necessarily need more teaching, but we need more engagement and more wrestling with the Word. And as an aside, that for me is one of the central functions of why small group for us is so important. Apart from the relationship, the getting to know one another, the investing into one another's lives, that's the place where we can wrestle. That's the place where we can sit and say, guys, I don't like what God is telling me. Because it's very easy to do when, you know, when God tells us to do something that we like. When you're a student and you see this girl that you really like, and you pray and you sense God say, yes, go for her. Take her out for a dinner. Invite her for a coffee. And just maybe for the evening, for the singles, remind ourselves, a coffee date is not a marriage proposal. Okay? Invite her for a coffee. Yes, that's easy. It's so easy to do when I agree with God. But how do I listen when I disagree? So we don't need more teaching. We need more engagement. We need more wrestling with the Word. And that's what we try and do to a large part in our small groups is create a place where we can wrestle with the Word, where we can engage with the Word, where we can figure out what is God saying to me and how do I actually apply the Word of God to my life and not just get another teaching and another book and another teaching and another book and more and more and more knowledge without allowing it to transform us. And so Jesus spoke these hard words to this man. 
The crazy thing is he spoke probably even harder words to the rest of us. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower. So now we're in a place where he's not speaking to a specific individual as we did in the previous story. Here Jesus is speaking to everybody. And I believe this applies to all of us. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your own cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Now, this is probably one of those passages that many of us have typixed out. It is hard for us to think that if I really want to follow Jesus, I need to deny myself. I remember a couple of years ago, probably I posted something about this, that if we're going to raise our children to be godly children, we must teach them to embrace self-denial. And all of my school and liberal friends are like, whoa, what? No, don't. The world today is all about self-actualization and self-fulfillment and living out your dreams and embracing what is in your heart. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my life was when I decided to follow my heart. It was a relationship long before I met Janetta. I got hurt so badly in that. And towards the end of it, when I realized, I read there was a scripture which says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? One of the biggest mistakes we can make is to run after our own hearts. Can I just also, just I want to preface this in there because I don't want us to miss this element. When that young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what else must I do? I think we read the Matthew one here. I think it's in the Mark, maybe the Luke version of it because these passages are in all three of those books. Jesus says, Jesus looking at him, loved him and answered him. You see these answers that come from Jesus' heart here, they're love. We understand today love to be warm and cuddly. At some stage, I'll probably mention this in this kind of, I want to still one day preach a sermon about this. Jesus, I don't think, was always a nice guy. We think Jesus was always this really, really nice guy. I wonder if you think he was a really, really nice guy if he started whipping you. Because he did that at one stage. Do we think Jesus is this nice guy you know, I love how the world is always telling us who as Christians we must be. Every now and again, I get a message from somebody who knows I'm a believer and say, as a believer, you should do this. And I'm like, no, that's what you think I should do. That's your understanding of my faith. That's not my faith. You, can't, you don't get to decide what a follower of Jesus looks like. I don't think Jesus was a very nice guy when he was speaking to the Pharisees and he looked at them and he called them snakes and sons of the devil. He insulted them. He wasn't all, and, and yet sometimes we think that Jesus in our life must only be the nice guy. That when we come to Jesus, he must always be warm and cozy. And once again, there's this is incredible love of God. But within this love of God, there is a truth to know that there is a God who is holy and righteous and just and pure. And it is not for Him to become like us. I don't even think it is for us to become like Him because we will never be God. But it is for us to be transformed little bit by little bit into His image. And I really believe that if we're going to grow in that, we need to embrace the passages we don't like. So Jesus comes and he says to this man here, actually to all of us, if you want to follow me, if you really want to follow me, the first thing that you need to do is you need to stop following yourself. If you want to follow me, all of those dreams, all of those desires, and one of the things I love about God is he gives us the desires of our hearts. And I believe that passage reads both ways. He gives us the desires of our hearts in the sense that He puts the desires of our heart. He puts them inside of there. But He also realizes the desires of our hearts. 
But He only does that once we've surrendered them to Him. I think it was last week, I just sensed the Lord wanted to call some of us to surrender. Some of us were swimming upstream. We're fighting fights and it's tired, tiring swimming upstream. And there's a surrender that God calls us to. And He says, if anyone wants to follow me, you need to learn to surrender. As a church, obviously for us, leadership development is so critically important. What I've also learned is the very, very best leaders are firstly good followers because they know what it means to surrender. They don't have a need to lead. They don't have a need to be in charge to let somebody tell people what they can do. They're willing to lead because God's called them to lead. But first and foremost, they're followers. They can receive an instruction, distill it, apply it, and lead others in someone else's instruction. They don't ever need to put their flavor on it all of the time. So I want to hold before us, if we want to grow as disciples, I really believe that God is wanting to say this for us as a church. If we want to grow, our first step in growth is in self-denial. If you want to find your life, lose it. Be willing to step away from it. Are you holding on to your life today or are you willing to lose it? And this comes down to the element of trust, isn't it? Control. Who is in charge of my life? Am I dictating kind of, it's very easy to take a step when I can see there is a path and the sun is shining on the path. That's easy. It's easy to take that step when I know where the path is leading and there's street signs all along the way. It's a lot harder when God says, go. He says, go. Get up and go. A couple of weeks ago, when Sam was here, he spoke about Philip the evangelist. He was a pretty cool guy. Anyway, Sam is a cool guy too. But So he says, and I love that passage where God says, go to, on the street. This is desert. That's the instruction God says to him. Go to that place that is desert. And what does Philip do? He gets up from the crouch, turns off the story that he's watching, gets on his bicycle, and goes to the place in the desert. That's the fullness of the instruction. When he gets there, he understands that God has a purpose and a plan for him. I wonder how many of us, seriously, I wonder how many of us today, if God said to us, get up and go to the desert, go to the Kalahari, go. How many of us would get in the car, fill it up with this very expensive stuff we put in it nowadays, and drive to the Kalahari, because God says, get uncomfortable and just go. We, it's easy for us when we see the end destination, when we have the answers, when it makes logical sense. And yet Jesus says, learn to surrender control. You cannot be in control of your own life and follow Jesus. Those two are mutually exclusive. You're either following Jesus, in which case He's in control of your life, or you in control of your life. So here's a word of release for some of us. Get comfortable with being out of control. If you want to follow Jesus, control is not within your hands. And then the second verse, the last bit there, verse 27, For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Here's a hard word for some of us. That God will judge you and I. He is not only going to judge us by the state of His hearts, Yes, in terms of where we spend eternity, are we saved or not? There is absolutely nothing I can add to my salvation, as the famous preacher said, except the sin that makes it necessary. I cannot add anything to my salvation. But once I am saved, I'm going to be judged based upon what did I do? What did I do? Was I happy to, like this young man, before he comes up to Jesus, just live the average, normal Christian life. I go through the motions and I'm in church two or three times a month and I go to small group and I give when I must give and I'm a nice guy and I'm polite and I, I go through my life. Or do we understand that if we are following Jesus, following requires a type of movement. And if Jesus is busy going somewhere, if Jesus is busy doing something and I am following Him, that requires that me do the same. 
requires of me to move. I cannot be static in my faith, in my relationship with Christ, in my actions if I'm following a God who is moving and who has momentum. Spoiler alert, what is God doing? God is building His kingdom and His church. Building His kingdom, building His church does not mean as beautiful as this venue is. That doesn't mean these buildings and these venues. It means the people sitting all around us. That is what God is doing. He is building people. And so you and I, if we want to truly follow Jesus, we have to embrace this. Now I had to have a conversation. I can't remember with who it was recently. I asked someone, are you first and foremost a disciple maker or are you first and foremost a lawyer or a musician or a politician? Which one are you first? Am I a disciple maker who happens to practice law or be an engineer or do whatever I do? Or am I a, my career who happens to also make disciples? Because once we've settled that in our hearts, our decision making becomes a little bit easier. If I am first a disciple maker and also a physiotherapist, but I'm a disciple maker, so what takes priority in my life? Physiotherapy or making disciples? Making disciples. What takes priority in my life? Being an architect or making disciples? Being a musician, making disciples. Being a teacher, making disciples. I believe God's called us to be disciple makers. He wants a form of momentum in our lives. And here I want to put this out there because this is probably typixed out in most of our Bibles. For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people. I think I'm a person, so that probably includes me according to my deeds. That's maybe in some of our Bibles that's been typixed out. We think as long as I go to church, as long as I'm comfortable, as long as I'm keeping the commandments, doing the basics right, I'm going to be satisfied and fulfilled in my walk with Christ and in eternity. And yet Scripture says no. We are missing out. I believe there's an invitation to draw closer to Christ if we'll embrace the difficult, hard words like these, that God actually wants action from my following and not just heart. Yes, and once again, that can be heard very wrong. He doesn't want empty actions. The action has to be born out of a heart of surrender, of following Him. And that's why this week, this message cannot be disconnected from, say, previous week's message. If we only hear this message, but we don't hear last week's, then we're missing something of God's heart for us. But there's an action that He has required. If God is moving forward, building His kingdom, am I following Him? Or am I being left behind? Luke chapter 14, we get the same passage. A large crowd was following Jesus. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he, he said to them, If you want to be my disciple... I read that, I'm like, yes, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. Get my tippics. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Whoa. No, no, Jesus, I thought we mustn't hate. Hate is bad. No, by comparison, in relation to how much, how passionate you are for me, your father and mother Whoa, no, Jesus, I, I don't like this. I don't agree with this, Jesus. Can I get some tippics? Your wife and children, no, no, Jesus, you've called me to love my wife and be a good father to my children. This is obviously, I don't know who wrote this. This is the part where Luke wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to ignore this. Brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Those are hard words. Those are hard words. I'm, as I said, I'm sitting right in this front seat hearing this before anybody else. I'm saying, God, what does it look like for me to truly be passionate for you? How do I, and just something that I'm just wrestling with as well, what I also realize is I cannot make myself love Jesus more. You cannot make yourself love Jesus more. We can't do that. We can't go sit in a corner and say, okay, I'm not going to learn to love Jesus. And now half an hour later, I love Jesus more. And I've now made my love. We, it does, love doesn't work that way. 
But I do think that when we embrace who Jesus is, when we begin to see elements of who Jesus is and not who we want Him to be, we're going to fall more in love with Him. We're going to grow in our love with Him. So I'm wrestling with this. Jesus, what does this look like for me to, in by comparison to my love for you, hate my wife? Which includes, I must love my wife like Christ loved the church. So my love for God must just, you know, if, if that is hate on the scale, then what does my love for Jesus look like? How passionate am I for Jesus? How surrendered am I to Jesus? How much am I allowing Jesus to shape and to form my life? And how much am I more than the content as such here? How much am I willing to engage with a passage that is really uncomfortable? With a passage that if I could, if it was up to me, if I was sort of the editor of Scripture, you know, the Holy Spirit put the whole thing together and said, here, Philip, what do you think? Don't you just want to kind of just clean this up for us a little bit? I would have taken this passage out. Or am I willing to say, whoa, God, I don't know this you, but it is you. It is not the you that I want you to be. It's definitely not the world that you wants you to, the you the world wants you to be, but it's the you that you are. So how do I learn to love that God? Okay, Jesus, maybe I'll print this out. How many of us have this passage hanging behind your desk in your office? That's going to freak some people out. If you want to follow me, learn. You cannot be my disciple if there is anybody or anything that in your mind comes even close to your dedication to me. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot. Luke chapter 14, Jesus carries on a little bit late, the same passage, just a little bit on. So he's carrying on. Actually, the very next verse, sorry. But don't begin until you count the cost. I think we say this too irregularly, if that's even a word, in the Christian faith. Jesus says, don't even begin trying to be my disciple until you've counted the cost. He says, if you want to be my disciple... It's probably the best thing that's ever going to happen to you. Eternal life, all of this reward, all, it's all there. We look at that in a moment again. But it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something in the eyes of the world. It's probably going to cost you something in your own eyes and by your own estimation. But Jesus is worth so much more. Doesn't he say the kingdom of God is like a man who found a pearl of great price? Took it. Hit it in the field. I'm paraphrasing it. You find this thing that's just, that has no value. He hides it in the field. He goes and he sells everything that he has so he can buy that field because he wants that pearl. And I wonder in our devotion to Christ, are we there? I'm not. I'm not. Absolutely everything gone just for this one pearl of great price. And so don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? I think we know some people who have done that, but it's not a best idea. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. He says, don't be a disciple who others are laughing at because you cannot complete it. Don't. Just don't even start the building. Don't begin to follow me if you're not willing to see this through. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it, and the whole world is laughing at you. And yet Jesus says that this is a parallel to discipleship. He carries on. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? If he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And this is sort of a a word for, uh, thought for thought translation. It's a dynamic equivalent. Uh, the, 
more accurate word-for-word -word translations, will speak about forsaking, renouncing, and not only the stuff I own in terms of bank accounts and tangible assets, the who I am. And so Jesus is holding before us, and I, I really sense this. I know this is a weird invitation, but I sense there's an invitation in Christ to come up higher, higher, to come in deeper, to grow in Him. But it's going to require for us to wrestle with the parts of Him that we don't like. Because those are the parts we don't know. He says, if you want to know me, if you really want to know me, you will get to know me for me. Throw the typics away. Fetch the highlighter. Why don't we start highlighting the passages that demonstrate to us how God is different to us? Rather than ignoring them, saying, whoa, God, here's a part I don't get. But it's you. And I want to know you. Our last passage for this morning in Mark chapter 10, verse 16 to 22. Peter began to say to him, can I just quickly, just quickly hop back? Matthew 16, we just read that, that bit where Jesus comes and he says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. The passage just before this, literally just before this, it's what Matthew 16 is most famous for, is Peter speaking to Jesus. And Jesus asks him, who am I? Everybody else says, well, who do you say I am, Peter? And what does Peter say? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds, blessed are you, Peter. Well done, Peter, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, you are right. Peter has just had this revelation. This is the Son of the living God. This is not a normal person. That's a conversation they have. Then, Jesus begins to say that he is going to die. And then what does Peter do? Peter, who just has said, you are the son of the living God, Peter rebukes Jesus. And he begins to say, no, Jesus, this cannot happen to you. You are wrong. Jesus, you must have more faith. Jesus, what's going on with you? Jesus, you're missing the heart of the Father. And I love Jesus' response. Get behind me, Satan. For your ways are not the ways of God. And I wonder how often we begin to do that. And I think some of us need to begin to look at areas in our own hearts and say, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan, when I read a passage and I just want to ignore it. Well, get behind me, Satan, because I want Jesus. It's crazy for me, that interaction, how quick Peter is to go from, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, to Jesus, I know better. And he rebukes Jesus the word that the Bible uses. He rebukes him. He tells him, Jesus, you are wrong. How crazy is that? Except we do exactly the same. And so Mark chapter 10, as we close, Peter began to say to him, to Jesus, see, we have left everything. So this is just after, this is in, in Mark. Um, but as I said, these accounts are all in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. And this is just after Jesus has spoken to the rich young ruler. He's told him, you can follow me, but it's going to cost you something. And the guy has left. And then Peter is like, whoa, Jesus, look at us. Look at me. I'm here. I've given up everything. See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands. Can I just pause there for a moment? That means that some of us are going to have to leave brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. Once again, it's easy to typex that out, except it's there. We can't typex that out. For my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The reward is real. The reward is real. For us to press into who Jesus is, is going to cost us something. At least in our eyes and in the eyes of the world, God looks at that and He is, yeah, it's probably going to cost you something, but you have no idea what lies in store. You have no idea what lies in store for us.
And so this morning, my encouragement more than the content as such is, what are we going to do with the passages we dislike? What are we going to do with the uncomfortable parts of Jesus? Because I believe there's an invitation to grow in Christ. There's an invitation to draw nearer to Christ. But it involves us embracing the passages that we run away from. We've been following Christ for 5, 10, 15, 20, however long years, and we've drawn to a set of scriptures. We've created a God who we want Him to be. And God's wanting to say, if you want to know me more, drop some of those walls, drop some of those boundaries. I want to show you who I am, not who you want me to be. I want to show you who I am, not who you think I should be. So I want to invite us, I want to encourage us to be deliberate in our reading of Scripture. Let's not glance over, because that's what typically happens, is we meditate on the passages that we like and that encourage us. I sense God's wanting to take us into a time where we meditate on the passages we don't like. But we meditate on them as an invitation. Okay, Jesus, there's locked up in this passage something about who you are that I've messed up to now. And so I want to grow in you. Show me this, Jesus. Show me this part of who you are. I want to deny myself. I don't want to just be Philip who was the best Philip Philip could be. How sad would that be? I want to be Philip, follower of Jesus, filled with the Spirit of the living God, changed and transformed and wrong often because he's not God. Can we stand this morning? I'd like to pray for us together. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And this morning, our invitation is, do we really want to follow Jesus? It's one thing to say, I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, don't do that if you're not willing to pay the price. I know this isn't kind of typically the message that we preach to pack churches and grow them, but I believe we're not going to grow as people, never mind as a church, if we're not willing to say, I really want to follow Jesus. I don't want to come just to nice entertainment and a nice venue and hear a nice motivation and leave encourage. There's room and space for all of that in Christ, obviously, but I actually want to grow in Jesus. I want to grow in Jesus. So I've just found myself this last while just singing a simple song over and over, just one frame, refrain. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I've counted the cost. It's cost something. It's going to cost a heck of a lot more. But turning back is not an option. So I want to invite you this morning where you are. Maybe God is speaking to some of us about a cost we need to count. Maybe there's a specific passage that God has just highlighted and You've typics it out and God is saying, go back there. I want to show something of who I am. I want to show you somebody. I want you to know me, not who you think I should be. So will you get to know me, who is different than you? Let me show you how I'm different. Let me reveal to you how I'm different. But you've got to engage, we've got to engage with that. You've got to wrestle with that. You've got to be willing to say, Jesus, here I am laying down my life, I have decided to follow Jesus. Can I pray for you? Father, this morning, I want to thank you for every single one of these incredible gifts that you've placed here. People who you love and are passionate for, Lord. People who, just like that rich young ruler, as we're putting our hands up and we're saying, what else must I do? You're looking at us and you're saying, I love you. You're looking at us and you are loved, Lord. And then you are saying, well, come to me on my terms. And we want to get to know you, Jesus. Lord, we repent for the times when we've pushed you into the box of who we think you should be, who we want you to be, God. And we want to come and say this morning, we want to know you for who you are, Lord. And you are different, Lord. You are different in every possible way. But God, we pray that we may know you. And as we get to know you, that we would love you more and more 
and more, God. We want our passion for you to grow, Jesus. We want to be like that person who found a pearl of great price and we are willing to give up everything because you are so worth it. So God, we ask for grace to wrestle with the hard truths, to wrestle with the words you speak that we don't like, Lord God. And Father, I want to pray for anyone here this morning who's just convicted that we've pushed Christ away. I wasn't going to do this, but I sense God wants me to. If you're here this morning and you just sense that you've been pushing Christ away, you've been just by your reading of Scripture, you've been just not listening when He's speaking. Maybe you're like that rich young ruler and God gave a word and you didn't like the word, so you rather walked away. Not from Jesus, but just from that conversation. And you want to come back this morning and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. If I must sell everything, I'll sell everything. If I must walk away, I'll walk away. If I must change, I must change. Whatever, God, whatever you said, if you want to come and make right, I sense this grace this morning to step forward and to say, God, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You are right as you always are. So I'm going to ask if that's you, step forward and we're going to pray with you. If you need to make a new decision to say, I've decided to follow Jesus, step forward. Don't stay where you are. Don't stay static in your seat. It's not about the seat, but it's about an action of stepping out and walking forward. So tomorrow morning when you can wake up, it wasn't just a feeling I had. It's a reminder of a decision that you have made. That's why we invite you to come forward. And we also believe that there's power in prayer. We believe there's power in the ministry that happens in this environment. So engage with that. Jesus, this morning, we're just deciding in you to follow you, God. There's no turning back, Lord. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.